welcome. Uh, we have actually just been part of Arson just over a year, and uh, I'm uh, thankful for the, the warm welcome that we've received from this congregation. Uh, I think we've connected uh, with the kids, teachers, and the youth group, and uh, some of the parents, um, and uh, are thankful for a soft place to land. Uh, since many of you don't know me, I thought I'd give a little bit of an introduction. Uh, just my name. Uh, uh, I grew up in Vancouver, uh, Surrey more specifically, don't hold that against me. Uh, the last three years I've been working in this neighborhood at uh, Union Gospel Mission. Uh, I work night shift in the, the men's emergency shelter, so I'll work uh, later tonight. Uh, we have 92 beds that night after night are filled with those who have uh, no place to call home. Uh, most every night we have more people looking for beds than we can accommodate. Uh, we also have a staffed reception and uh, perhaps more importantly a washroom that's available 24 7 uh, and that's definitely an essential service uh, where many spend their nights in tents or parks or even the sidewalk i'm married to becky uh, who's an elementary school teacher here in vancouver uh, we were uh, surprised and delighted uh, when we first came uh, to find out that Scott was a pastor here. Uh, we didn't know uh, the Mataggarts well, but uh, Becky teaches at Van Horn Elementary, and uh, Aubin has been a substitute teacher in my wife's classroom, and uh, several of their children have been uh, in, in her class. Uh, we have two kids of our own. I got Zach here who's starting high school in the fall and Autumn who's with the kids entering grade six. Uh, before starting as a shelter worker, uh, three years ago I was a pastor for 15 years in a few different places. Uh, the last four years here in Vancouver. Uh, just before the pandemic I went through a shift and stepped away from pastoral ministry. Uh, when Nelson shared recently about uh, the preaching gaps to be filled with Scott's sabbatical, and even confessed to a little weariness, uh, my heart was stirred uh, because I've been there. I, I've had to walk away uh, from the pulpit uh, for a time because I, I wasn't able to, to fill that role. Uh, so in a moment, I put my name forward because uh, I've done that. I like to be helpful. Uh, but just like you, I know life is busy. And so as the day started to get nearer, I started to get a little anxious and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, started to worry about getting a message prepared. You know, I wanted to impress you all, <laughs> or at least not make a fool of myself. Uh, I had to remind myself that this isn't about me. Uh, so my hope with this meager offering today is to help us see that God is a present help, that God is here with us, right in the midst of our messy lives, full of worries and fears. Uh, in the church year, it's already been on the screen, but we're in the season called Ordinary Time. And in my life, I find myself, uh, my ordinary is, is sometimes just, just passing time. I need to be careful I'm not just passing time with one day blurring into the next. Uh, I, I thought of uh, Jacob in Genesis, uh, Jacob in uh, Genesis 28. He was going about his life. He was on just a, a regular journey, dealing with the stresses and concerns common to us all. And he stopped in the middle of nowhere for the night. Uh, he didn't even have a, uh, a tent. He just had a rock for a pillow. Uh, but Jacob has this dream where he sees a staircase connecting earth and heaven. 
and angels coming up from earth to heaven and, and returning from heaven to earth. And Jacob wakes up with this epiphany. He says, God was here all along, and I wasn't even aware of it. I didn't even realize it. I, I wonder if our regular everyday life could include an awareness that God is with us, that God is close at hand, no matter where we find ourselves or, or what we are doing. Uh, Moses had a, a similar encounter uh, with God. Again, he was out in the desert. There might be something about deserts, but he en encountered God in a profound way at a random bush. Uh, God says to Moses, take off your shoes for the ground you're standing is, is holy ground. This is a sacred place. Now, we know that God's presence isn't tied to a, a specific location, uh, though for us today, we probably have some special feelings about this place, about the Japanese Hall, or uh, Stillwood Retreat Center. When we drive up to Stillwood Retreat Center, we say this is a, this is a special place. But we can very much encounter God at the office or at home or out and about our city. Uh, I think what is often needed is just an awareness for us to stop rushing about, worrying about this or that, simply to take off our shoes. You can't go fast when you have your shoes off, you're connected to the ground. Uh, or, or like Nelson reminded us uh, last week, when we're sitting like Mary at the feet of Jesus, not rushing about like Martha. Uh, I guess that for some of us this morning, the weight of the world is heavy on our shoulders. If you're immersed with the, in the real world of, of family or work or school, it's normal to be overwhelmed. Uh, for others, maybe you're in the summer mode. You've stepped out of the grind and, and you are just temporarily ignoring the cares of the world. You're disconnected. That's a, a good thing to do too, enjoying a reprieve. Uh, wherever we find ourselves today, may our eyes be opened to see that God is here present with us. Uh, ordinary time, of course, follows the season of Pentecost. And the good news of Pentecost is that God is not absent, removed from our lives and concerns, but God is present, actively working for our good. I think that's the heart, at the heart of Jesus' message to his friends in Luke chapter 11. Uh, the text tells us that Jesus was praying in a certain place, one of his disciples, they notice, they see him praying, and then they ask us, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, they compare him to another uh, teacher, like pastors are also often compared to one another, but, you know, John taught his disciples to pray. Come on, you teach us to pray. Uh, there are actually many references to Jesus praying in the Gospels. Uh, only a few times do we actually know the content of the prayer. You think of uh, Gethsemane on the night that Jesus was be, being uh, about to be arrested. Uh, we know a little bit about what Jesus was praying. Uh, often there are just uh, brief notes by the gospel writers telling us that Jesus withdrew to pray or Jesus was praying in a certain place. Uh, just in the previous chapters in Luke's gospel, in chapter 9 and 10, there are several references to Jesus praying. Uh, we, we read some of these stories in recent week. Uh, before feeding the 5,000, uh, the text says Jesus looked up to the heavens and gave thanks. 
Uh, Jesus was also in, uh, in, in the, that chapter praying in private. Uh, and, and then that was a time where he asked his disciples, who, who, do, you, who do people think I am? And, and he reveals to them that he's the Messiah. And that means that he's going to be rejected by the people and, and put to death. Uh, then again, there's a reference that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to a mountain to pray. And, and that's where what is known as the transfiguration occurred. Uh, the gospel writers reveal that it's through prayer that Jesus receives direction from God about what to do, where to go, where Jesus found strength to do what he did, to live obediently, to serve compassionately and powerfully. Uh, in these difficult days where we're often exhausted and just trying to survive, or perhaps looking for distractions out of the grind, not knowing if we have the strength or ability to keep fighting the good fight, to be compassionate, uh, we can join that unnamed disciple, observing the wonder of Jesus and, and ask, Lord, help us. Teach us to pray. I, I, I've participated in some heavy, heavy conversations. Perhaps you have a time or two I uh, got into a conversation about prayer. What is prayer? How do you pray? And sometimes those conversations become quite philosophical, quite intellectual, heady. They focus on the why we pray or how does prayer work. Uh, certainly those are uh, meaningful things to consider. Some of us would enjoy that kind of discussion. But in this text, we notice Jesus doesn't get into that. Instead, Jesus very briefly focuses on the what and the who. Uh, what uh, we pray about and to whom do we pray. Uh, there are two versions of the prayer that Jesus uh, teaches, commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, found in the Gospels. The one's found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, and the second is here in Luke. Uh, the version of in Luke uh, is very short and very direct. Jesus provides us with a simple model prayer. But more than giving us words to repeat, you know, a little mantra, I, I think Jesus is telling us about the nature of God to whom we pray. Jesus starts by addressing God simply as Father, Abba. The all-powerful, eternal, unseen maker of all things is addressed simply in the familiar er image of a caring parent. Uh, for some, the image of a father may be difficult. It might evoke feelings of neglect. Uh, but scripture paints the image of uh, a God that loves and cares for us. Uh, some other passages that came to mind for myself was Isaiah chapter 49, uh, when God's people were exiles in Babylon and God gave them these words through Isaiah. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. Uh, there's another incredibly intimate uh, passage in Hosea 11 where God speaks of how he loved his people as children, calling them out of Egypt 
caring for them. Uh, There God speaks in intimate terms of taking his people by the arms and teaching them how to walk, healing them, leading them with cords of human kindness, lifting them like one who lifts a child to the cheek, bending down to feed them. And even when they strayed and ran away to other gods, they forgot who they were, and God's anger was stirred. I know know we parents probably understand our anger being stirred at our children. Uh, But Hosea says that God relented relented from uh, his anger. He said to his people, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over? My heart has changed within me, and my compassion is aroused. Uh, Jesus himself in, in Luke's gospel gives a, a, a number of beautiful images of God as a caring parent. It was already referenced chapter 13, uh, where as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he stops, he observes the city, and, and he begins to weep because the people over and over again had rejected God's messengers and stolen the prophets sent to them. And, and Jesus laments, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I long to gather your children as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. And of course, there's Luke 15, the parable of the the father who extravagantly, extravagantly shares all that he has and all that he is with his two somewhat ungrateful sons. Now I'm going to resist this morning taking a close look at the prayer that Jesus gives us in Luke 11. I just want to share a few comments. Uh, When you compare it with the one found in Matthew, or even just in general, it's remarkable how short this prayer is. Just five very brief and direct statements. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Uh, There's no flowery or complicated language. Uh, In fact, you could say it's shameless in the blunt and direct nature of our requests. Give us our bread. Forgive us our sins. Deliver us from trial. There's no dancing around one's needs in these statements. Hallowed be your name. Uh, Perhaps there's a reference to the commandment not to take the Lord's name in vain, uh, which I'm pretty sure in the contemporary church, at least in my childhood, we greatly misunderstood as meaning that we're not to say OMG or shout Jesus Christ when we stub our toe. Uh, I'm not prepared to plumb the depths of meaning here. I think one small part of this hallowed be your name is what I referenced earlier. Recognizing that God is present. That life is sacred. A gift. That the earth is full of the presence of God. Life is to be treasured, not neglected and discarded. Uh, Just like Mary, content to rest in Jesus' presence. Prayers about resting and appreciation of the holy nature of life. Uh, It may be ordinary time in the church year. Prayer is seeing the awe in the ordinary. Uh, Last week that we were uh, camping, uh, we were on a a family hike. Uh, Usually we got to drag our kids out on a a little hike through nature. And 
Uh, I am someone that typically walks with a destination, uh, with a purpose to, to get to the goal. I'm all business. Uh, my kids, on the other hand, were walking because we made them walk with us, somewhat begrudgingly putting up with it. Uh, uh, so, uh, you can probably relate that to prayer. Uh, when we pray for our meal, kind of all business, get done so we can eat. But then we got this, uh, we went to the visitor center, and, and my daughter found this birding and butterfly guide uh, with the different uh, birds and butterflies that are in the area. And, and as I walked later in the trip, I began to change my pace. I, I began to stop and, and listen and look. It's a different experience when you walk with your eyes and your ears open. Uh, your kingdom come. Uh, in fact, Jesus' message was always that the kingdom of God was near, that the kingdom of God was close, that it was at, at hand, indeed, that it, it had come. Uh, but often in life, it doesn't feel like that. It's hard to believe sometimes that a good God is on the throne because often it feels like evil's winning the day. God's kingdom is often overlooked, as it's a kingdom marked by a cross and not a sword, uh, marked by love and not coercion. Uh, the prayer here has three simple basic requests for daily bread, for forgiveness for the wrongs we have done and for those who have wronged us, and for deliverance and trial and temptation. Why these three things? I don't know exactly. I, I wonder if it was because these were relevant needs for the disciples. It's actually helpful that we've been going through Luke's gospel. And I, I thought of some of the previous uh, sermons. Uh, we had looked at how Jesus sent out the disciples in pairs, uh, in, in, in groups of two. And he told them, uh, he sent them on a mission and he said, take no purse or bag. Don't carry any bread with you, uh, but rely on the hospitality of strangers. And in fact, that's probably what Jesus and his disciples were doing as they traveled, just relying on the hospitality of those they encountered. Daily bread would have been important. Uh, and I remember they were, I think it was a Samaritan village, and, and uh, uh, they were not welcome because they were on their way to Jerusalem. And uh, James and John said to Jesus, should we pray uh, fire from heaven? <laughs> Judgment. Uh, upon this village and and uh, seems like this uh, prayer for forgiveness would have been somewhat relevant given that encounter uh, and of course Jesus and his disciples they set their course towards Jerusalem and, and we know what's going to happen in Jerusalem they're going to go through their ultimate temptation their ultimate trial uh, Jesus arrest and, and the crucifixion I think these requests, simply worded and for basic necessities, show us that we are invited to bring to God the regular, real, authentic, honest needs we have. And I wonder if perhaps this kind of relevance and honesty is the biggest challenge for us here today. Uh, we live in a generally beautiful, safe, prosperous, and peaceful place. All of us here probably have a roof to call home to tonight we have some food in the fridge and some money in the bank we aren't desperate 
And as difficult as life can be, we're managing. Uh, It could be hard to acknowledge our needs. Bills, rent, uh, discouragement, anxiety, depression, bitterness, relationships. Real stuff like that. Uh, I've been in a number of uh, many prayer gatherings where we kind of sit around and say, well, what should we pray for? And we, we don't know what to say, kind of awkward silence. And then we think of our third cousin, twice removed. We're not necessarily comfortable sharing our own struggles and needs. Uh, but the prayer here is very relevant. And the invitation is to bring our real needs to God. Uh, Speaking of relevant, I I remember something one of my seminary professors uh, said about church gatherings that stuck with me. Uh, He said the gathering should be relevant enough that you know where you are. If you're just kind of dropped into a random uh, church gathering, church service, and and you don't know where you are and and you're meeting, uh, you should, by the context, know whether you're in Vancouver or Toronto or Florida by the content of the gathering, by the sermon and the prayers. I I very much appreciate here at Artisan how when we gather, we acknowledge where we are in the Japanese hall on unceded indigenous territory in the downtown east side of Vancouver. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I appreciated that in the prayers of the people that someone had wrote out a prayer for Street Church and Pastor Christina and her people a sister congregation in the neighborhood on the occasion of their building being destroyed by fire. Uh, Today, I I, I think I'm mindful, I'm praying for the historic meetings happening uh, in Edmonton uh, between the Pope, the Prime Minister, and the, the leaders of indigenous nations across the country. And I'm thankful that the church, that the Pope is taking a penitential posture and, and I think I, we can join them this morning by saying, forgive us, our sin. Jesus goes on in, in this text to give us two analogies that help us understand that God is good. That God is for us. That God welcomes our honest prayers. Uh, there's the first about the neighbor uh, knocking at the door looking for bread. Let me modernize that first for us. Imagine your neighbor starts calling your phone in the middle of the night. I think the text said midnight. They lock themselves out of the house, and you have the spare key. You're in bed, you're asleep, you reach over, you shut the phone, put it on mute when it rings, and then you hear the knocking. You ignore it for a while, praying they'll think you're on vacation, you're not home. But you hear them shout, I know your home. I can see your car. And the doorbell starts ringing and the baby starts crying. You curse, put on a robe, open the window, and call out, we're asleep. We have to get up early tomorrow. Come back then. You slam the window shut and lay back in bed. Uh, Your phone's still vibrating and everyone's up now, so you pick it up. You see the text. We're locked out of our house. Can you please grab the spare key? Well, everyone's awake anyway, so of course you go down. Give them the spare key. Not of compassion, just so you can get back to bed. 
What an inspiring story, Jesus. <laughs> What's the point? Uh, there's some encouragement that we don't have to be proper or considerate in our praying. Uh, I know in our uh, work settings, we often, always actually begin and end our, our shifts in prayer, and sometimes we have a volunteer or a new staff person intern, and we ask them to pray, and uh, they say, I'd rather not. They're not comfortable about uh, praying in public. There's some encouragement here. You don't have to be proper. You don't have to be considerate, even, in our praying. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I, if I think about that story, I, I recognize that I am self-reliant to my own detriment. Heck, if I was locked out of the house and it was uh, midnight, I might just suck it up and walk around the neighborhood in the cold and dark for hours. Uh, now, if I had my kids in the car and my wife, I, I'd probably be convinced to inconvenience my neighbor. But we might just go get a hotel and suck up the the cost. Jesus commends the bold audacity of the one in need, the shameless audacity. There's an invitation to be persistent in our prayer. And the argument is that if you human beings will begrudgingly respond to help a neighbor, how much more will God eagerly give you what you need? Uh, Jesus makes that point again with the second story about a child asking for food. Our parents of young children could probably help us out the most here. Uh, Young children, they don't have filters. When they're hungry, they simply tell us without shame or without fear. Uh, My children are now older, so when they tell me they're hungry, I simply remind them where the fridge is located. Actually, that's a lie. I I do enjoy uh, cooking and, and providing and and caring for the family. And and that's Jesus' point. It's simple. If you parents, imperfect and as frail as you are, if you attend to your children's needs, how much more will God satisfy your needs? Uh, Now there's an interesting twist in Luke's gospel at the end of these two stories. Uh, In Matthew's version, it, it ends with God delights to give good gifts to those who ask. However, Luke ends the telling differently. Jesus ends the story about God caring for his children by saying that God will surely give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. The message is that God not only provides us with things that we need, food, forgiveness, and faith, but God gives us his very self. God comes to us in our need. God is with us. And it's not just a, a benevolent present, like a, presence like a warm glow. The Holy Spirit's presence changes things. Uh, it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus ministered with transformative compassion, bringing healing and deliverance to situations without hope. Uh, Genesis tells us that when God... Uh, created Adam. He formed Adam from the dust of the earth. But Adam was just a lump of uh, flesh until God breathed. The word is actually spirit, ruach, wind. God breathed life into Adam. So the Holy Spirit within the church is the life breath. Uh, It's the active power that enlivens, that renews and restores. 
At Artisan, we say that we join with God in the renewal of all things. And this is possible by a spirit among us. And so we pray, come, Holy Spirit. There's so much right now that feels beyond us. And so we pray and we act. There's the invitation this morning to bring it to God simply and directly without shame. I came across an op-ed uh, that uh, was shared on Facebook, uh, but it was a New York Times op-ed that Anne Lamott uh, had written about prayer. Some of it was particularly relevant to the United States, and it's way too long to share it all in a sermon, but I uh, included the reference in the slides in case you want to look it up. If, like me, you struggle with prayer, Anne's article speaks honestly about both the challenges and the rewards she finds in prayer. She ends the article with these words. I have the theological understanding of a bright eight-year-old. But Jesus says we all need to approach life like children, not like cranky know-it-alls, crazily busy, clutching toward to-do lists. One of my daily prayers is, slow me down, girlfriend. This prayer changes me. It breaks the toxic trance. God says to Moses the first time they meet, take off your shoes, be on the earth, breathe with me a moment. What are you holding on, holding tight to today? What is weighing heavy in your mind, your heart, perhaps in the pit of your stomach? The invitation is to pray, to bring those concerns to God because he cares for us, for you. Uh, we're invited to that this morning, of course, through the prayers of the people. Uh, we're always encouraged, invited to write down a prayer to share for ourselves, for our community, for our world, uh, either a prayer publicly, I think the, the private ones, if you just want the prayer group to pray, go in the, go in the box. But also as I close this sermon, I just wanted to invite you to join me in a, a simple prayer exercise. You can close your eyes or you can leave them open. Uh, but where you are seated, I, I invite you just to take your hands and to place them on your lap and, and put them palms down on your lap. And let's just take a couple deep breaths to remind ourselves that God is present. Through his Holy Spirit among us. Our palms are down, symbolic of us letting go, giving to God the stuff that is troubling us. In the silence, just take a moment to give to God to name to God what is concerning to you today. Now I invite you to leave your hands resting on your lap, but simply turn your hands and, and raise your palms up as, you, as if you were to receive something being passed to you. Let's rest a moment together in God's presence. 
to receive what he has for us. Father, we are thankful that you hear us, that you love us, that you are good. You delight to care for us. You know our every need before a word is on our lips. You've engraved us on the palm of your hands. And above everything, you give us yourself. Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that we can rest and receive from you.